Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And so we continue with season four and our closer look into films in the naughty decades. And up next for this decade, we're going to take a look at Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation, starring Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson and Giovanni Ribisi. Made and released in 2003, this film quietly looks at the relationship of two lost souls in the backdrop of Japan. We have an aging movie star, played by Bill Murray, who can no longer use the excuse midlife crisis anymore. And he's at a point of limbo and confusion of his life that seems to hold no purpose anymore, despite being successful, accomplished, and married of two children. It's in Japan that exists as an equally important character of its own as he stumble upon a young girl, played by Scarlett Johansson, also lost and searching for meaning, who happens to also be married and isolated in this vibrant, loud city of Tokyo. As the movie develops, these once strangers becomes friends, friends that have both been longing for someone for some time now, an answer to their possible question, an answer to this itch in their lives, a solution maybe, to finding meaning again in this world. Now, with the opportunity of their respected spouses being busy or thousands of miles away, they find comfort in each other in a foreign and culturally new city that helps them find themselves in each other and possibly give their life a new perspective and maybe even a new significance. The film was quite brave and deserves the acclamation. It was an exciting start to the decade with such a transparent take on romance. Sofia Coppola manages to capture this relationship in all of its glory and does so with hardly any dialogue, simply by just using the empty space between the characters. And through this, we, as the audience, can feel the atmosphere between these characters. We can feel the the energy, the electricity between Bob and Charlotte. And the silence, like I said, between the two protagonists is probably deliberate, and you can feel that chemistry and I don't think it's been done so to this effect in a movie before and it's down to the effortless acting between Scarlett and Bill Murray who have this obvious chemistry and the next to perfect vision of Sofia Coppola which probably makes this one of the best films that decade had to offer with just a four million pound budget which is ridiculously low for a Hollywood movie it grossed over 118 million dollars globally even though it was shown at only a selected few cinemas in America and due to the low budget this film was still nominated for best film at the Oscars losing out to I think it was Return of the King whose budget was 94 million dollars however the film was rightfully nominated for three other Oscars including best screenplay best actor and best director each of them holds a personal lamb mark on their own so to date as of today this is bill murray's only oscar nomination and that guy's been in the game for the last 40 years he unfortunately didn't win he lost out to sean penn's exhilarating performance in clint eastwood's mystic river if you've seen that great performance but the other three oscars were all for sophia coppola where she ended up becoming the third ever female director to be nominated however she was the first ever american woman to be nominated and also the youngest at age 32 she did win an Oscar that night, though, for Best Original Screenplay, bagging her only Oscar to date. This also makes her a third-generation Oscar winner, with her father being, of course, Francis Ford Coppola, the director of The Godfather, and winning for that, and her cousin, Nicolas Cage, of course, winning for Leaving Las Vegas. Sophia Coppola may not have won, but she did become the first woman to be nominated for writing, producing and directing a film all in the same year. There is no denying women in films have come a long way, but there is still much work to be done. In the Oscars 92 year history, there have only been five women that have ever been nominated for the prestigious accolade of Best Director. Talk about an exclusive club. It wasn't until 1977, 38 years after the first Oscar 
did a woman finally get nominated. It was an Italian-born uh, woman called Lena Mertwiller for her work on Seven Beauties, which is a great film. It's actually quite a funny film. But it did rightfully loss out to... Um, he She lost out to John G. Avelston. And he, uh, unfortunately for the women, he directed a classic called Rocky. So um, he did really, I think he did deserve the Oscar that year. And then the next Oscar, it was then in 1994, did the women get another recognition for Best Director, this time for Jane Champion on her film The Piano. But she lost out to another great film, Steven Spielberg for Schindler's List. So no complaints there either. And then Sofia Coppola, nine years later, dazzled us with this very film, Lost in Translation. But she lost out to Peter Jackson, one I think is debatable. He won, obviously, for Return of the King. 2003 was a big year for Lord of the Rings. The fourth woman hit the jackpot, directing the tense war drama The Hurt Locker, beating her ex-husband in the category. Catherine Bigelow beating out James Cameron, who made that billion-dollar movie Avatar the same year. Which, by the way, the sequels are out next year, by the way. I think two and three are coming out back-to-back. So the Point Break director went on the record and said she doesn't really identify herself as sort of a female uh, filmmaker. Just a filmmaker that, like, you know, just like everyone else, she doesn't want to exclude herself to being a woman. And the fifth and final woman to be nominated was two years ago, which was Greta Gerwig, who was nominated twice, like for her film um, as Lady Bird, which is a really good film, actually. Uh, she didn't win either. She lost that to Shape of Water, um, which actually became the first sci-fi film to ever win an Oscar. Sophia was just reunited um, with Bill Murray once again recently um, since Lost in Translation. There's a film called On the Rocks, which is on Apple TV Plus at the moment. Um, and she wrote and she wrote um, On the Rocks with Bill Murray in mind. And just like that, she wrote Lost in Translation with only Bill Murray in mind. Bill Murray is a quite uh, reserved and eccentric person. He's known to be quite arrogant, which is part of his charm, which resonates in most of his roles too, actually, especially like Groundhog Day and even Lost in Translation. And I know people say that Robbie Downey Jr. makes a great Tony Stark, but a close second for me, in my opinion, would have been Bill Murray. I mean, just his mannerisms, his whole approach to conversations is very Tony Stark. So back in 1999, Bill Murray replaced his talent agency contact details with just an automated voicemail where you can just leave messages. So, And he gave that out quite uh, sparingly. And he would only um, call back if he was a little interested in the proposed projects. So Sophia got his number from her friend Wes Anderson, who had collaborated with Bill Murray on like five or six films, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, and so on. I think they would later work on more films like Fantastic Mr. Fox, Great Budapest Hotel, The French Dispatch, which is coming out next year. Looking forward to that. But anyway, so Sophia left Bill over like 50 messages on his voicemail. And then he finally called back to discuss the role. And he, he accepted. He was like, yeah, this is a, it's a good story. I'll do it. And four months later, not even a hint of conversation between Bill Murray and Sophia was, um, had happened. You know, nothing to discuss the movie, nothing to do, see what was going on. And Sophia was already in Tokyo setting up for the movie, and she was worried that the main lead wasn't going to be there. So she called Wes Anderson up in a frantic state and was like, you know, what's going on? Is he going to be here? I'm really scared. And um, Wes Anderson basically said, you know, reassured her by going, look, Bill, Bill Murray is a lot of things, but he is a man that keeps his word. I assure you that is definitely he'll be there and you know sure enough he was right and bill murray arrived a week before shooting in tokyo and ended up becoming really fast friends with sophia and this friendship and understandably obviously shown in the movies um shown through his chemistry with both scarlett johansson and sophia coppola and then obviously ended up banging him his only not um oscar nomination to date so yeah i think it's a, it's a really good story bill murray um you know goes on the record and said this is probably one of his favorite films that he's ever done i think he does actually say this is his favorite film of his own 
This was Sophia Coppola's only, um, I think it was only her second film. Um, she did The Virgin Suicide three years period, which starred Kirsten Dunst and Josh Hartnett. I don't know if you've seen it. It's actually quite a good film. Um, and she ended up working with Kirsten Dunst again in Mary Antoinette and then the remake of The Big Guild with Colin Farrell. So Sophia wrote this film pretty much based on her own life. So it was pretty, it was quite fairly intimate. And this is very much a tone of the movie. It's not reply, relying on heavy, hard, hitting scenes packed with dialogue and arguments. It's just raw and authentic, and I, and I love that. And her father, the great Francis Ford Coppola, told her to shoot the movie in high definition since it was on the rise at the time of the decade. But she chose to ignore her Oscar-winning father and shot it regularly, simply saying it it feels more romantic. <laughs> and the character of John in this movie, the, um, the character who's married to Scarlett Johansson, who's played by Giovanni Ribisi, was apparently loosely based on her then-husband, Spike Jones, who's a fantastic director, and Anna Farrell. Um, and Anna Faris's character in the movie was based on Cameron Diaz um, so basically Spike Jones was directing um, Cameron Diaz in being John Malkovich at the time and I can assume that Sophia felt either challenged by her or just annoyed by her from the way Scarlett plays her in the movie um, but yeah interesting enough 10 years later Scarlett Johansson would work with Spike Jones in the movie Her as the voice of the OS and as the film with Joaquin Phoenix also in um, set in Japan I believe so um, it's quite interesting but yeah, Scarlett um, plays it really subtly, and I mean, it's up for a woman's interpretation of um, you know how she does it, and that's what makes these you know, it's just what makes these uh, performances amazing. Scarlett Hansen even said in an interview that she began to get a taste for older men after this movie, the way you know Bill Murray was in the movie, and that, and this was sort of because of how he was directed by Sofia Coppola. She even later dated older men after this movie. Um, it was uh, Benicia del Toro and Sean Penn. I think she's now happily married with someone near her own age now. But um, at the time of the movie, she was only 17, I think 18 by the time the film was screened. Um, but yeah, she was born in 1984, which is funnily enough, uh, the same year Bill Murray's Ghostbusters came out and hit the screen. So that was quite interesting. But yeah, Sophia allowed the freedom for her actors to really understand each other and get into each other's minds. If you've ever seen the script, which is online, so you can get it for free, you'll see the dialogue are very different from what's um, actually in the movie. And that's because Sophia allowed both Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson to simply improvise some of their scenes, which is a nice touch for a director. She wasn't, you know, she was controlling about her project, but she wasn't, you know, demanding about you know, these certain ways, the ways like uh, Kubrick would be. She just knew the vision had to be right. And that's what this film's about. And that's what makes it one of the best romantic films ever, because she just focused m merely on tone. And that was it. And there's something about the strangeness to their relationship. They're both lost in this world where they both can't even speak the language. They're just both bored and unsatisfied and are looking for an escape, even though they're both in a hotel room, one of the most, in, in one of the most exciting cities in the world, Tokyo. And I don't think even in this movie that their character really introduces themselves to each other. It doesn't even matter. And I think that's a little nice touch in the movie. It's about the way they make each other feel. I mean, the metaphor of the, or these like hotel windows seeing the life that they, you know, could have, uh, but never choose to experience it fully. I mean, only until they are together do they actually experience the culture and entertainment and weirdness of this Japanese lifestyle. And in ways, as they venture into the depths of Tokyo, singing karaoke and in eating Japanese foods, going to the arcades, just being tourists on their own, they are there with this image of Japan in the background, lighting up like, like, like Las Vegas. I mean, every time they're alone, they're in the hotel room looking out the window at this really vibrant city of Tokyo. But only until they're together do they finally enjoy this lifestyle that they happen to be in. And there's um there's a beautiful shot of Scarlett Johansson. I'm not just saying that because you can see her ass, but I mean it's the opening scene, and um she's at the window sill, just looking out the window, 
And I read that Sofia Coppola went traveling to Japan and took loads of photos, knowing she was going to make this movie and she would recreate some of the scenes from the images she took from the photos. Um, and um, the shot I'm talking about, she's sort of lying there in her underpants and they're, um, they're quite see-through. And on the day of filming, she was quite nervous to film that scene and Sophia had to reassure her. So Sophia did the scene herself. She wore the same underwear. She did the shot. Um, and, you know, it's just made Scarlett feel at ease. And Scarlett Hansen's always sort of credited Sophia for making her feel like welcome into the cinema. Because this was really early on. I think before that, she did like, like Eight-Legged Freaks and Home Alone 3, but she'd never been like in a big movie like this. And it's not until 32 minutes in the movie, which is around a third of the movie throughout the movie, does Bob and Charlotte even speak in this movie. It's not there for build up. It's there for establishing each other's characters. I mean, on their own has this steam of isolation and loneliness in this foreign place. It's funny because this sort of interaction that they have in the lift, it's it's like a little smile. And that's their first time they see each other. And again, with no dialogue. And the second time they interact is across a room. And Bill Murray's just doing this sort of funny gesture indicating that he or she is bored. And she laughs. And he manages, he manages to do this from across the room with no words. And this is like a really subtle key to their relationship that that relationship isn't really based on looks or maybe even words, but just a shared experience, shared feelings in a strange part of the world. And Charlotte's youth and somewhat curiosity about the world really starts to change Bill Murray's character too, as he rediscovers the happiness and thrills of being laid back and happy and just being able to laugh with someone who, put, you know, who puts absolutely no pressure on him. I mean, the conversation he has with his wife over, you know, over the phone are both very relatable and sad. It's not an intimate conversation at all. And even the conversation has no juice to it. It's boring. It's without emotion. It's a chat about, you know, materialistic things. And interestingly enough, both times he's on the phone to his wife, he's surrounded by materialistic stuff, like because he's a movie star. Both times he's talking to his wife. What The first time he's on the limo and the second time he's in the bathtub, which is great direction from Sophia, just indicating, you know, this is the tone of the movie or the conversation at the time. So let's put him in this materialistic background. And then when he's with Scarlett, you know, when they go out, he doesn't wear a suit. He wears a silly top. You know, he enjoys the time of it, almost maybe rediscovering his own youth by, you know, singing karaoke and going to a random restaurant and just, you know, laughing, smiling. And you can tell this with the, you know, the backdrop of Tokyo. He's just having fun, something I think people forget to do in the world. And what Sophia Coppola is expressing here is it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a successful 60 year old movie star or a recent Ivy League graduate. Everyone can get lost. Everyone can lose themselves in trying to force themselves in finding purpose. And when it's great to see here what is being explored in this movie heavily is the idea of just you know just spontaneity and being in the moment the present trying to enjoy the little things in life and most importantly you know just being in the right company so those people can bring out the best in you i mean the you know it plays gently on comedy using once again the silence in her movies to make the scene obviously awkward and it's funny how you know it's like how much taller bill murray is to the japanese people throughout the movie or the fakeness of john and his blonde friend and just the reactions from both bill and scarlet i mean it's just funny to watch because it's awkward and you understand and it's completely relatable it's a movie that isn't trying to be big. It's just an emotional ride. The movie doesn't tend to elaborate on anything. It doesn't hype up the tensions when one of them is annoyed at the other, or it's not trying to create a sexual atmosphere when the two are in bed with each other, because this film is about, it's about much more than that. It's trying to convey that these two people can be connected, you know, in some other way. And we have to make that judgment, which is sad to say, if it only works in Japan, it's saying there are worlds where people can come together. 
And places that are different from our own, the title Lost in Translation is in fact talking about Japan. And like I said earlier, acts as a character of its own. And it's used here to bring these two, you know, these two people together because they're both at a point in their lives that are just, you know, uncertain and lost where they should be both happy. And one of the one of the saddest scenes without trying to be, of course, obvious about it is the end of the movie when Bob has to return home to his family. And obviously this venture does have to come to an end. This reality, however hidden for the for these two in the movie, is slowly brought back to them where they share one final scene right at the end before Bob has to go home. And along with a lot of unanswered questions in cinema, like what's in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction or even the briefcase in Ronin, or does Brad Pitt shoot his wife in Once Upon a Time? We are left here again with yet another enigma in cinema. Someone pulling again on our appetite for answers. The scene I'm talking about is Bob saying goodbye to Charlotte. In the midst of a very busy Japanese crowd, they hug for the longest time. And it's so sad because by this point in this movie, you have accepted them to stay together, platonic or not, just to be in each other's company because they make, they just make each other happy. And it's really nice to see. And after they hug in this scene, he whispers something to her and we don't hear it. It's drowned away from the busy streets of Japan. And then he kisses her and leaves her for the last time. And the movie ends with Bill Murray with a smile on his face rather than the moody, bleak look he had when coming into the city. And the kiss, by the way, was not even scripted. It did not ask for that scene at all. It was just a moment between the actors, which apparently felt right. And it's one of the best moments in the movie. But um, for years, no one other than Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson and Sophia Coppola knew what Bob whispered to Charlotte. In the final scene, um, it was, uh, I think it was in 2009, so like five or six years after the movie was made, there was a YouTube video that surfaced containing a slightly enhanced audio of the part of this film with subtitles, and it reached more than 20,000 visitors in the first hour so they could find out what Bob actually whispered to Charlotte. Um, But I'm not going to say it on this podcast because I don't want to spoil it for anyone in case anyone doesn't want to know. I'm not going to repeat it, uh, what was said, um, but there was another video that suggested something different. Um, anyway, with closer inspection and with some lip reading, they came up with what is what basically he did say. And I think it's sort of been confirmed by someone that was on the set, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. I mean, I almost wish I didn't know. I think it's best left unsaid. Um but I managed five years without knowing after watching the movie for the and for the first time. Um, if I wasn't impatient and young, I probably still wouldn't want to know what he said. After knowing what he did whisper to her, it's um, without giving it away. It's quite sad, and it's um, uh, I hate to say this word, but it was just nice. It was a nice thing for him to say to her. Um, but the way Sophia Coppola directed it, she she deliberately did it like that because that scene was made for it was just meant for the characters. It wasn't meant for the audience. And that's what I love about her. It was clearly about the tone of the movie. It wasn't about feeding the audience's expectation. It was about, you know, it was a film just about these characters and it was for them. Um, and it was moments for the characters that exist in this diegetic world of the movie. It wasn't meant for the audience watching. Some things, I guess, are just best left unsaid. But listen, that's all I have time for of Lost in Translation. It is an amazing film and I hope more women do films like this I honestly don't think a man could have even come close to hitting this level of emotion in a movie it was just one of those intimate rides you rarely have when going to the cinema but anyway um, please subscribe to me on iTunes Spotify and Google Play and I'm on Instagram Film Exploration AH or lowercase or one word and 
Thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hari. Thank you.